Good morning, Sarah Hepla. Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. Have you go- have you girded your loins? I, you know, I gird my loins every day. It's a kind oh. of a complicated process with a lot That's of like funny. binding. Well, yeah, but you know, I I gird my loins three times a day when I'm feeling frisky. <laughs> oh. It's not a competition, Sarah. Okay, well, I still want it. <laughs> um, well, before we get started, and I think this is going to be a humdinger of an episode, if I do say so myself, um, before we get into that, I have just two short orders of business that I wanted to take up with you and our listeners. The one is that I wanted to report on a uh, Zoom call that we just had. We had our Zoom hang, our first Sunday Zoom hang with our paid subscribers, and it was wonderful. We had a great time. We had a very animated discussion about Oleana. Uh, the 1994 David Mamet movie. And afterward, in the comments, one of our listeners asked what our homework was. We almost always give homework. You know, watch this or we'll discuss this movie. So what I asked him, and I'm going to ask the listeners at large, is your homework is to bring a movie or some kind of pop culture suggestion to our next Zoom hang um, as something that we could enjoy as a group. So that's it. Um, one other thing we want to welcome new paid subscribers. We, um, are lucky enough to have several new subscribers coming our way. And sometimes they write us notes, which was the case with someone going by the name of not Sam Harris. And, and this person told us that one of the first things he did after getting his new job was to resubscribe to our pod, which I thought deserved a shout out. Oh, so sweet. Thanks, not Sam Harris. What do you think the chances are that that not Sam Harris is actually Sam Harris? I mean, I assumed it was. Right, right? because yeah. if Sam Harris yeah. were going to go undercover in a name, he would choose not Sam Harris because then everyone else would be like, well, it couldn't be that guy. And his cover right? would be that he was unemployed and didn't have any money. So it's kind of obvious. Exactly. I mean, I was kind of uh, sorry, Sam. You could have been a little, a little more stealth than that. But anyway, we're happy to have your uh, annual. No, we just want to welcome Sam Harris yep. to the podcast. Yep, yep. So, Sarah, um, is there anything else you want to maybe want to lead off with? Well, we have a guest today. Yeah, we do. And I'm going to introduce our guest by reading with intention and vigor from this introduction that I wrote. I met Scott Greenfield because people I trusted told me he was a straight shooter who had balls. At the time, I was researching a story most people did not want to touch, but I found Scott generous with his time, funny, informed, and whip smart. He's a criminal defense attorney in New York, known to slay on Twitter, and he was rated 10 out of 10 by AVO, which means absolutely nothing to me, but sounds very impressive. He writes the blog Simple Justice, where he recently published a post about Yasha Monk, the podcaster, author, and Atlantic contributor accused of rape. The story was entitled The Atlantic Caves to Me Too. Scott Greenfield, welcome to Smoke em If You Got Him. Well, thank you. How are you guys? I'm well. Good. I just Did I like get to- anything wrong in my introduction, by the way? I'm not sure I slay anybody, but... Uh... I think I know it's it's I I will have to run the metrics on that. I just feel like, you know, there's these certain people that like 
you know, they they have sharp, like their words are weapons, sharper than knives. Now I'm quoting an NXS song. Sorry. Um, you know, I, I've actually got it easy because I don't work for anybody and I don't depend on anybody's uh, uh, liking what I have to say. So I basically get to say whatever I please. And I try to keep it uh, honest. I mean, people may disagree with me and, and they're certainly welcome to. Sometimes I disagree with myself, but uh, best I can do is to uh, try to try to tell it like it is and uh, take whatever uh, crap anybody wants to throw at me. But I don't pay any penalty for it. I can't be canceled. I can't be fired. I can't lose any business. I have uh, I have nothing at, at risk here. You uh, could, you could, uh, it could hurt your feelings or you could lose friendships. I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I have no feelings. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, I would just like to add um, my thanks to Scott, who I have met in real life several times, and several times when I've had um, legal questions about uh, an article I'm writing, something that makes absolutely no sense, I'll run it by him, and he can either clear it up for me, or in one case, get back to me and said, you're right, Nancy, this makes absolutely no sense, which was helpful to me when I was writing uh, that particular story. So thank you, Scott. My pleasure. Yes. Um, well, we're going to be discussing this, the case of the curious case of Yasha Monk and his accuser, Celeste Marcus. Um, this is a pretty complicated story. And because I didn't want anyone to have to do it on the fly, I wrote out kind of a short summary. Actually, it's kind of long. So I apologize, Scott, we brought you on just for you to listen to my sultry cigarette alto for the entire hour as I read to you. Um, but no, uh, I, I You're just thought... You're going to be much more fascinating than I am, so I look forward to it. No, not at all, not in the least. But I did want to give this brief download for our listeners um, and just to get some facts on the table. Um, on January 2nd of this year, a writer named Celeste Marcus posted a link to Twitter, quote, in which I plot my own trajectory out of the afterlife of rape so that others don't have to do it alone, end quote. The caption read, it linked to an essay entitled After Rape, A Guide for the Tormented, which ran in the free speech literary journal Liberties, where Celeste is managing editor. The essay was short on specifics, long on word count. So let me cut to relevant details. It took place after midnight on June 25th, 2021. Celeste was good friends with a male writer she does not name. He fell asleep in her bed. We're not sure why. To quote from the essay, quote, I mean, it wasn't violent. I didn't bleed. I was in and out of sleep when he penetrated me and was jolted wide awake when he started moving fast inside me, end quote. As suggested by its headline, the essay describes the particular torment of Celeste in the following months and years. She wanted to die. She wondered if she was losing her mind. She slams her head into a wall repeatedly until she falls down. This is after learning from a mutual friend that the man in question did what he did, quote, because he loves you, end quote. Another passage, quote, rape is like explosive ammunition. The bullet fragments beneath the skin, wounding all parts of the body. The initial rupture is then succeeded by a thousand subsequent tears, which commit compounded invisible violence over time. The damage spreads far from the site of the wound. The damage cannot be contained, end quote. 
One thing Celeste did not do was go to the police. In this, she's not different from millions of women and men who decline to file a police report that will likely drag them through an ordeal. Months and possibly years of scrutiny, bureaucracy, cross-examination, exorbitant legal fees. Celeste told friends, a typical move. But also becoming typical is to air the accusation publicly in a personal essay or a social media post. Celeste did both. Last Sunday on February 4th, she posted an email exchange to Twitter, which I'm refusing to call X. It was with Jeffrey Goldberg, the well-respected editor-in-chief of The Atlantic, a well-respected magazine. Back when the essay published, she'd also sent a link to Goldberg to explain, I'll quote from her email, quote, the rapist was Yasha Monk. You have a rapist on the staff of your illustrious publication, end quote. Celeste's email was sent on January 7th, which happens to be the last day Yasha Monk tweeted. Monk is an Atlantic contributor who specializes in free speech. He's the founder of the journal Persuasion and the host of a podcast called The Good Fight. Until recently, at least, he was considered a pretty nice guy. Jeff Goldberg did respond the following day, quote, I'm very sorry to hear what you've been through, quote. He wrote, quote, please know we're taking these allegations seriously, end quote. But that was it. No follow-up, no news, no embarrassing expose. Nearly a month passed in radio silence. So last Sunday, Celeste posted this email exchange to Twitter. And in the caption, she wrote, quote, I will not be raped with impunity, end quote. Well, all hell broke loose, at least in my direct messages and phone texts. Very few people were saying anything online because what on earth was happening here? Later that same day, The Atlantic announced they'd cut ties with Monk, releasing a statement on Twitter that did not sound as though it came from the silver-tongued scribes of an illustrious publication. Quote, we have not published any more work by the freelance contributor since being made aware of the allegation, and we suspended our relationship with the freelance contributor last month when we first learned of the accusation, end quote. So that brings us to Scott's recent piece and this pod. And I haven't even mentioned the hour-long video interview with Celeste Marcus where she switches between coffee and Diet Coke. Scott Greenfield, what do you have to say about all this? Am I allowed to say I call bullshit on this pod? Sure. I call bullshit. Okay. Um, it used to be that everybody was the hero of their own story. Um, it's, it's now changed to something of uh, everybody's the victim of their own story. Mm. You accept her representations of what the incident was because you have no alternative information at this point. Um, her story emits an unpleasant odor. He just happened to be in her bed. Um, there's a kind of issue here about was she wearing her flannel nightgown or was she naked in bed with him? Because if she was dressed and he engaged in sex with her, it would seem he would have had to undress her. It seems she might have awakened at some point during this. Of, and yet none of this seems to fit into her, her story. Um, the problem that I have is that I don't believe any story. I believe facts. And I don't know what the facts are. And I don't know what the facts are until the facts are tested. Um, she didn't go to the police. She didn't sue Yasha Monk civilly. 
She chooses instead to accuse and demand punishment. This is the inquisitorial model of, of criminality, if you will. Um, I'm going to accuse you and you are now either guilty or responsible for proving the negative. Um, very rarely can anyone prove the negative. It's also problematic when the Me Too concept is believe women, presume them, except for Tara Reid, to be truthful. Um, the fact is, she may very well be telling the truth. Who knows? I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, what I do know is that what she's had to say is remarkably uh, uh, scant. It leaves a great many questions unanswered, and it has never been subject to any scrutiny whatsoever. So naturally, Jeffrey Goldberg decided he was going to go with it and can Yasha Monk for it. It's unfortunate that uh, he caved into uh, to her accusation. I guess uh, somebody advised him. This has been become the common legal and PR advice is to just separate yourself immediately and, and try to uh, wait out the, uh, the potential damage that will come. But uh, apparently Marcus wasn't prepared to let them wait it out just by saying they've uh, disconnected from, from Yasha. She wants to know exactly how much it's, it's going to uh, take before they castrate him or, or come out and openly proclaim him a rapist on her behalf. I don't know where she's heading with this. But she's not satisfied that he's been canceled. She wants blood. And maybe she deserves blood. But then let her use the mechanisms society has created to determine right and wrong before you expect somebody to be crucified. And that's where we are. You know, uh, the question of what she wants is certainly um, an open question. What she says in the Liberties piece which is a very long thing that is also paywalled. Um, I had to get a, a friend of mine to send me a copy to read it. But what she says is that I want my rapist to look in the mirror and see a rapist. That's that's what she puts in the piece that she claims to want, which that's fair, but she will never know. She that that's that's you you claim your victory is something that you will never know whether it happens or not. You know, is it fair? I, I frankly find it just a pile of horseshit. This is the kind of hyperbolic nonsense that a writer emotes in order to make her, uh, her story look good. It's meaningless crap. If you want punishment, then you take action that will produce punishment. She wants him to feel what she wants him to feel. That's not, I, I don't know in what place in the world one gets to dictate other people's feelings. Well, this is so interesting because when I said it was fair, I think what I meant was every people get to feel what they feel. I do believe that, you know, like she gets to want what she wants. But your point is in a criminal justice system to reach inside the feelings of another person and turn the dial is is not something that we can or should do. And yet I think it's something that the online Thunderdome it, uh, asks people to do all the time. Yeah, I think you're right about that. But I don't think the online Thunderdome is comprised of people who are particularly intelligent. 
I think they're very emotional. I well, think they, that they would, you know, we, we've reached a point where uh, empathy has replaced sympathy, where feelings have replaced thought, and everybody loves to gush. I'm not sure everybody really does. I think they all pretend to do so, or a great many pretend to do so, because it gives them thoughts and prayers and likes on their little Twitter uh, statements, but um, it doesn't contribute anything thoughtful, intelligent, substantive to the argument. I read as much as I could suffer through her uh, her, her articles, and I started out with a, a prior piece of hers, and, and Sal Gundy? Salma Gundy. It's a literary journal that's put out by Skidmore. Right. That piece is called A Thousand Gentle Smotherings. Right. Now, I read that piece, and what I saw is a, a horribly narcissistic person desperately crying for help. I did not see a person. I mean, she may be very smart and very good with words, but that does not tell me that she has a, a, a perspective that I would trust, that I would believe. In fact, I, I think she's severely damaged, and I, I don't. I think she put it on, on, on paper for us to see. I think one of the ways that she um, she crafted the article in Liberties was very deliberately to not um, give us the pieces of the puzzle that we might want in order to say, okay, just like you said, like was she dressed or was she clothed? It might be important because you know how how asleep can you stay if you, someone's got to take all your clothes off? She doesn't mention if they were drinking or if they weren't drinking. Now people will come back and say this shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. She, we have to take her side. I think she deliberately crafted the narrative so that we couldn't really get a very clear picture. And then, instead of sorting, sort of, you know, what I would call taking responsibility for her part in what may or may not have happened, because we don't really know what happened, she decided to outsource it to both Jeffrey Goldberg and to the internet. And I, I find this, um, I find this very immature. I find this, you, as you're saying, Scott, it could be because she's damaged. But instead of saying, okay, I'm going to take responsibility for this, whether it's having a conversation um, the next day or in the following weeks with, with Monk or whether it's going to court or whether it's doing nothing, she doesn't do any of that. She, she outsources it to the rest of us. And she does it in, in a way where we can't really know at all. Um, we can or cannot participate in the sort of, as you were saying, the sort of collective effervescence, to borrow a phrase, that the internet gets caught up in, and then they just go off and do something else. Meanwhile, we have Yasha Monk lying in the road, you know, figuratively. His life, we don't know how long it will be destroyed for. It's a bit of social murder here. Um, and the rest of us sort of scratching our heads. Like, you don't want to you don't want to pile on someone who might be damaged or maybe something that something terrible happened to this person, but she certainly has not given us the information to know. And I think that's very deliberate. I think she deliberately um, trimmed the facts to fit the theory so that we can't know. Well, I think she's an excellent writer in the sense of her uh, ability to use words to express herself. Mm -hmm. um, so that can't be the problem that she's just not competent to uh, give us the background necessary to make a rational uh, decision. Um, and she's certainly not shy about using words. Yeah. Um, 
there's a number of issues here that I would raise. By the way, I'd like to stop you at one point as far as drinking. I, I do understand that it's become uh, commonplace amongst uh, a certain cohort to believe that if alcohol touches a woman's lips, she's incapable of consent. <laughs> that is not the case. That is not the law. Um, intoxication is no different uh, than sobriety when it comes to consent. You're allowed to get drunk and allowed to consent to sex. Um, that is not going to make sex non-consensual or rape. And this is Hi, Smoke em If You Got em listeners. This is Sarah Heppola with Nancy Rommelman. Hi. We're inviting you to listen to the rest of this conversation, but you have to subscribe. Go to smokeempodcast.substack.com slash subscribe. We hope to see you on the other side. Bye.